Gentlemen Spacemen! Mind Bend on Mars, Episode 2 Scanning the Marscape with his keen eyesight, Dirk Danger spots an unconscious figure lying in the distance. As he approaches, he discovers it's his old nemesis, Dr. Mindbender. What could have happened to him? Find out next time on... Gentlemen Spacemen! Hello, and welcome back to the Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout. Each episode, we explore classic sci-fi from the atomic age and beyond. I'm your host, Brad Gerhowski. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit thevoiceofbrad.com. If you are enjoying the Atomic Hideout, that makes us happy. All we'd ask in return is that you consider subscribing and leaving a review wherever it is that you enjoy listening to podcasts. It will take you just a moment, and it really helps us out. This episode, we begin a two-part story with part one of Morgue Ship, written by the great sci-fi icon himself, Ray Bradbury, originally appearing in the summer 1944 edition of Planet Stories. Let's begin our story. Morgue Ship by Ray Bradbury. He heard the starport grind open and the movement of the metal claws groping into space and then the starport closed. There was another dead man aboard the Constellation. Sam Burnett shook his long head, trying to think clearly. Pallid and quiet, three bodies lay on the cold, transparent tables around him. Machines stirred, revolved, hummed. He didn't see them. He didn't see anything but a red haze over his mind. It blotted out the far wall of the laboratory where the shelves went up and down, numbered in scarlet, keeping the bodies of soldiers from all further harm. Burnett didn't move. He stood there in his rumpled white surgical gown, staring at his fingers gloved in bone-white rubber, feeling all tight and wild inside himself. It went on for days, moving the ship, opening the starport, extending the retriever claw, plucking some poor warrior's body out of the void. He didn't like it anymore. Ten years is too long to go back and forth from Earth to nowhere. You came out empty and you went back full cargoed with a lot of warriors who didn't laugh or talk or smoke, who just lay on their shelves, all one hundred of them waiting for a decent burial. Number 98. Coming matter-of-fact and slow, Rice's voice from the ceiling radio hit Burnett. Number 98, Burnett repeated. Working on 95, 96, and 97 now. Blood lumps, preservatives, slight surgery. Off a million miles away, his voice was talking. It sounded deep. It didn't belong to him anymore. Rice said, Boy, howdy! Two more pickups and back to New York. Me for a ten-day drunk. Burnett peeled the gloves off his huge, red, soft hands, slapped them into a floor incinerator mouth. Back to Earth. Then spin around and shoot right out again in the trail of the war rockets that blasted one another in galactic fury to sidle up behind gutted wrecks of ships salvaging any bodies still intact after the conflict. 
two men, Rice and himself, sharing a cozy morgue ship with a hundred other men who had forgotten, quite suddenly, however, to talk again. Ten years of it. Every hour of those ten years eating like maggots inside, working out to the surface of Burnett's face, working under the husk of his starved eyes and starved limbs. Starved for life. Starved for action. This would be his last trip, or he'd know the reason why. Sam! Burnett jerked. Rice's voice clipped through the drainage preservative lab, bounded against the glass sight retorts, echoed from the refrigerator shelves. Burnett stared at the tabled bodies as if they would leap to life, even while preservative was being pumped into their veins. Sam, on the double, up the rungs! Burnett closed his eyes and said a couple of words firmly. Nothing was worth running for anymore. Another body. There had been 100,000 bodies preceding it. Nothing unusual about a body with blood cooling in it. Shaking his head, he walked unsteadily toward the rungs that gleamed up into the airlock, control room sector of the rocket. He climbed without making any noise on the rungs. He kept thinking the one thing he couldn't forget. You never catch up with the war. All the color is ahead of you. The drive of orange rocket traces across stars, the whamming of steel-nosed bombs into elusive targets, the titanic explosions and breathless pursuits, the flags and the excited glory are always a million miles ahead. He bit his teeth together. You never catch up with the war. You come along when space has settled back, when the vacuum has stopped trembling from unleashed forces between worlds. You come back in the dark quiet of death to find the wreckage plunging with all the fury of its original acceleration in no particular direction. You can only see it. You don't hear anything in space but your own heart kicking your ribs. You see bodies, each in its own terrific orbit, given impetus by grinding collisions, tossed from motherships and dancing head over feet forever and forever, with no goal. Bits of flesh in ruptured spacesuits, mouths open for air that had never been there in a hundred billion centuries, and they kept dancing without music until you extended the retriever claw and culled them into the airlock. That was all the war glory he got. Nothing but the stunned, shivering silence, the memory of rockets long gone, and the shelves filling up all too quickly with men who had once loved laughing. He wondered who all the men were, and who the next ones would be. After ten years, you made yourself blind to them. You went around doing your job with mechanical hands. But even a machine breaks down. Sam! Rice turned swiftly as Burnett dragged himself up the ladder. Red and warm, Rice's face hovered over the body of a sprawled enemy official. Take a look at this! Burnett caught his breath. His eyes narrowed. There was something wrong with the body. His experienced glance knew that. He didn't know what it was. Maybe it was because the body looked a little too dead. 
Burnett didn't say anything, but he climbed the rest of the way, stood quietly in the gray metal airlock. The enemy official was as delicately made as a fine white spider. Eyelids, closed, were faintly blue. The hair was thin silken strands of pale gold, waved and pressed close to a veined skull. Where the thin-lipped mouth fell open, a cluster of needle-tipped teeth glittered. The fragile body was enclosed completely in milk-pale synthesilk, a holstered gun at the middle. Burnett rubbed his jaw. Well? Rice exploded. His eyes were hot and his young, sharp-cut face, hot and black. Good Lord, Sam, do you know who this is? Burnett scowled uneasily and said no. It's Lefla, Rice retorted. Burnett said, Lefla? And then, oh, yes, career's major domo, that's right. Don't say it calm, Sam. Say it big. Say it big. If Lefla is here in space, then Creer's not far away from him. Burnett shrugged. More bodies, more people, more war. What the hell? What the hell? He was tired. Talk about bodies and rulers to someone else. Rice grabbed him by the shoulders. Snap out of it, Sam. Think. Creer, the almighty, in our territory. His right-hand man, dead. That means Creer was in an accident, too. Sam opened his thin lips, and the words fell out all by themselves. Look, Rice, you're new at this game. I've been at it ever since the Venus-Earth mess started. It's been seesawing back and forth since the day you played hooky in the 10th grade, and I've been in the thick of it. When there's nothing left but seared memories, I'll be prowling through the void, picking up warriors and taking them back to the good green earth. Grizzly, yes, but it's routine. As for Creer, if he's anywhere around, he's smart. Every precaution is taken to protect that one. But Lefla, his body must mean something. And if it does, have we got guns aboard this morgue ship? Are we a battle cruiser to go against him? We'll radio for help. Yeah. If there's a warship within our radio range, 700,000 miles, we'll get it. Unfortunately, the tide of battle has swept out past Earth in a new war concerning Io. That's out, Rice. Rice stood about three inches below Sam Burnett's six-foot-one. Jaw hard and determined, he stared at Sam a funny light in his eyes. His fingers twitched all by themselves at his side. His mouth twisted. You're one hell of a patriot, Sam Burnett. Burnett reached out with one long finger, tapped it quietly on Rice's barrel chest. All the cargo of corpses for 3,000 nights and days and see how patriotic you feel. All those fine muscled lads bloated and crushed by space pressures and heat blasts. Fine lads who start out smiling and get the smile burned off down to the bone. Burnett swallowed and didn't say anything more, but he closed his eyes. He stood there, smelling the death odor in the hot air of the ship, hearing the chug, chug, chug of the blood pumps down below 
and his own heart waiting warm and heavy at the base of his throat. This is my last cargo, Rice. I can't take it any longer, and I don't care much how I go back to Earth. This Venusian here, what's his name, Lethla? He's number 98. Shove me into shelf 99 beside him and get the hell home. That's how I feel. Rice was going to say something, but he didn't have time. Lethla was alive. He rose from the floor with slow, easy movements, almost like a dream. He didn't say anything. The heat blast in his white fingers did all the necessary talking. It didn't say anything either, but Burnett knew what language it would use if it had to. Burnett swallowed hard. The body had looked funny. Too dead. Now he knew why. Involuntarily, Burnett moved forward. Lethla moved like a pale spider, flicking his fragile arm to cover Burnett, the gun in it like a dead, cold star. Rice sucked in his breath. Burnett forced himself to take it easy. From the corners of his eyes, he saw Rice's expression go deep and tight, biting lines into his sharp face. Rice got it out finally. How'd you do it? he demanded bitterly. How'd you live in the void? It's impossible. A crazy thought came ramming down and exploded in Burnett's head. You never catch up with the war. But what if the war catches up with you? What in the hell would Lethla be wanting aboard a morgue ship? Lethla half-crouched in the midst of the smell of death and the chugging of blood pumps below. In the silence, he reached up with quick fingers, tapped a tiny crystal stud upon the back of his head, and the halves of a microscopically thin chrysalis parted transparently off of his face. He shucked it off, trailing air tendrils that had been inserted, hidden in the uniform, ending in thin globules of oxygen. He spoke. Triumph warmed his crystal-thin voice. That's how I did it, Earthman. Glassite, said Rice. A face-molded mask of glassite. Lethla nodded. His milk-blue eyes dilated. Very marvelously paired to an unbreakable thickness of one-thirtieth of an inch, worn only on the head. You have to look quickly to notice it, and unfortunately, viewed as you saw it outside the ship, floating in the void, not discernible at all. Prickles of sweat appeared on Rice's face. He swore at the Venusian, and the Venusian laughed like some sort of stringed instrument, high and quick. Burnett laughed too. Ironically, first time in my years a man ever came aboard the Constellation alive. It's a welcome change. Lethla showed his needle-like teeth. I thought it might be. Where's your radio? Go find it, snapped Rice hotly. Hmm, I will. One hand, blue-veined on the ladder rungs, Lethla paused. I know you're weaponless. Purple cross regulations and this airlock is safe. Don't move. Whispering, his naked feet padded white up the ladder. Two long breaths later, something crashed, metal and glass and coils. The radio. I hope you enjoyed Morgue Ship Part 1 by Ray Bradbury. 
Next time, we'll return for part two, so you don't want to miss it. The Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout was written, produced, edited, and performed by Brad Gorhowski. For more information about Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout, visit thevoiceofbrad.com spaceman. If you're enjoying The Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout, please subscribe and consider leaving a review wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Thank you, and journey well among the stars. <laughs>